On this episode of Scammer Stories, one of the biggest problems in fighting scams in the U.S. is the lack of attention by social media giants and the government. So what do they do in other countries? Enter Brownwind Groot. She's a one-woman scam fighting machine in New Zealand. Her story starts years ago when online scamming wasn't on people's minds. I know that I'm changing people's lives every day. Now, her phone is always on, and for one major reason. When you've got a victim who is suicidal, has lost all their money, you know, I'm not going to turn them away because every other agency has turned them away. She's carved out a name for herself. My role is to raise public awareness around frauds and scams. And um, I also work one-on-one with the victims and their families. Brownwyn has seen the numbers increase a great deal since she started. You know, it's really sad when you see someone who's lost $800,000 in four months. Not only is she trying to educate victims, but the public as well. The victims are not stupid. They're not gullible. They've just been targeted by a very sophisticated scammer. Her work as a scam fighter has come a long way from spending a little extra time on the weekends. Tell me how you got involved with all this online stuff. So it was about 10 years ago. I had had a break from the bank that I was working in and I'd gone back as a part-timer after having the kids in the little community that I was brought up in. And I got really brassed off seeing people in my community who were being affected by scams. And then the bank I was working for at that time found out what I was doing on my days off. When bank leaders found out, they actually spotted an opportunity. And they actually ended up creating a role for me, raising awareness around frauds and scams. Oh, wow. I thought you were going to say that they fired you, but they actually liked it. (laughs) They actually liked it and they created a whole new role. And um, we created a thing called Scam Savvy. We took it out to the public and it really took off from there. Ten years ago, that's back when this was still kind of new to people. It was really new. Back then, I was going oh my gosh, they've lost 25000 and I was absolutely mortified. Fast forward to 2020 and I go, oh, another one who's lost over a million dollars. Yeah. So what were some of those first scams back in the bank 10 years ago? The very first ones that I was dealing with were the lottery and the psychic scams being delivered through your letterbox. Man, they were intense and I just had wheelie bins full of the mail that when I'd find the victims, I'd get them to send it to me. So I had this huge stash of stock that I took around on my presentations that I could show people that this was all a big scam. Okay, so describe how those scams worked. So you seem to sign up or receive a letter from one of them and they'll have your name on it. So let's say it was um, psychic Maria Duval and you'll receive a letter from Maria Duval saying that she knows that you're having uh, lots of issues at the moment. She knows that you've got health worries and financial worries and and your name is throughout this whole, about four or five pieces of paper in there. And Maria can turn your life around for you. All you have to do is pay a small amount. And of course, once you send a check or credit card or money order, they then obviously on sell your name. So I had one guy so proud of the fact that he had received 191 envelopes in one day. 191 envelopes? From the scammers. They were all from scammers, but he absolutely loved receiving all of this mail with his name on it. This mentality is like so many victims in all types of scams, including romance scams. I think the majority of victims were people who were lonely and 
they had had, you know, very good jobs, they'd been working, but now they were retired, they lived at home, and this may have been the only correspondence that they were receiving. And some of them were running it like a business. So each of those envelopes, whether it be it said that you were winning a lottery or there was a psychic behind it or something like that, you had to make a payment and you had to post your check away. So these people were running it like a business. They were categorizing the envelopes. They'd written on it when they'd posted the check back and when they should expect the money to arrive. But of course, no money ever, ever arrived for them. Wow. So it's kind of like my mom. She likes to communicate with the scammers, but she does it on her cell phone. But this is back before everyone had a cell phone. Absolutely. And I think printing costs must have been so cheap as well back then. But I don't see this level of scam now. It seemed to stop after one of the payment agencies that processed all the checks got shut down by the SEC. After that, the scam stopped because they couldn't get the payments through. Scammers got resourceful and found other ways. New technology makes it so much easier. We're hitting Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and stuff like that, which I've just been inundated with scams around those. Okay, so let's talk about how it evolved. First, it was the envelopes and the mail scams with the lottery and the psychics. And then what did you start to see after that? Then we started to see one out of Australia, actually, which was targeting, specifically seemed to be targeting New Zealanders. And that was, again, another lottery one. But it was one big company pretending that they were connected to Oz Lotto. And a lot of people were falling for that one as well. So we did a lot of work and a lot of education around that one. And that one also seems to have dried up. As that was moving forward, then we started to see the investment scams where the money was going to Hong Kong. And that is still pretty big. To invest like in stocks? Fake shares. Yeah, fake shares. I'm pretty sure the scammers are buying old share certificate databases and then they're targeting those people that have previously bought shares you know at some stage in their life so they're ringing them up they're saying that they've got the share opportunity of the century it's a ico or initial coin offer to get your foot in the in the rung you only have to start off around two and a half grand and that's how it starts okay i think you and i have a bit of a language barrier here you mean I'm giggling. (laughs) When you say, you mean share? Share certificates, like investing in Apple or investing. New Zealanders are kind of considered friendly. You think they're targeted a lot? I'm not sure that they're targeted any more than any other country when you're looking at the dollar values of losses. I think these scammers are just hitting anybody they can. But, you know, New Zealand's a fairly young country. And it's not that long ago that we didn't lock our doors. We invited anybody into our home. A lot of older people still have landlines, and that seems to be where the majority of phone scammers are targeting them. Oh, because they know they're older. Yeah, they know they're older. They're likely to answer the phone because they're likely to be home more than someone who's out working. And they target them with the latest, of course, we're calling it the Spark Scam, which is a telco provider here in New Zealand. So they're ringing them up. They're pretending to be from Spark. New Zealand has just had a whole rollout for fibre throughout the country. And the scammers know that and they're using that to try and trick their victims into um, giving them access to their computer or to the internet banking. And how do they do that? So they'll ring them up out of the blue. They'll say that they're from Spark. And then if the person says, well, actually, Spark's not my telco provider, they go, oh, no, that's okay. We know that, but Spark owns all the fibre lines, and it's the fibre that's creating a problem. So what we need you to do is we need you to jump on your computer, 
download a thing called Team Viewer, which of course you'll know gives them remote access to their computer. And once they're in there, they then get them to log into internet banking and transfer the funds very quickly. And if they don't have internet banking, they will walk them through the process of how to get internet banking. So how does Brownwin know exactly? She was actually able to listen. We've listened to a number of calls that we were lucky enough to get a recording of. And the pressure that they put these people under is incredible. Absolutely incredible. I had one horrendous story. This poor lady, she was crying her heart out on the phone to these scammers saying, I don't understand what you're talking about. Can you please ring back when my son comes home? You know, she was just so tearful. And the the scammer was even saying, just take a breath, have a glass of water. You can do this. All you have to do is click on this and do this. And how long ago was it that you started to see romance scams? I've been in my current role two and a half years. So probably maybe three years ago, three and a half years ago, I was getting more involved in the romance scams. But now I'm getting them all the time. And they're probably the the most emotionally devastating ones because you're having to break down those barriers and break someone's bubble that may have been speaking to someone for over a year or sometimes even two or three years and tell them that it's it's all not real. I don't know how similar the banks are in New Zealand and the U.S., but what do you see banks doing? They're trying. They are trying really hard. We can all do better. We can all do better. And there's a couple of little fixes that we should be doing. One of them, I would love to see account name and account number matching. So if you, if you April were to deposit money to my account and you put Joe Blogs instead of Bromwyn Groot, that transaction wouldn't go through. And that would stop the majority of uh, things like business email compromises where a money mule is being used. Okay, so help me understand how that would help. The business email compromises, the majority of them are the invoice has been intercepted and the account number changed on the invoice. They'll still leave the name uh, Joe Bloggs Building Limited, but the account number has changed. And that account number will be going to a money mule who may be caught out in a romance scam or a lottery scam, and they will then forward that money on. Okay, that was one. And what's the other one? You said there are two things. They need to try harder with their customers. You know, when their customers are caught out by a scam, it used to be pretty standard practice that the banks would say, oh, well, it's their money. They can do with it what they want. Well, actually, they can't. You know, you need to man up and tell them that you believe they're caught out in something suspicious. Ask for the documentation and investigate it further instead of just letting them to their own devices. Banks now, some of them here in the U.S., are starting to alert the authorities. Yeah, I've been following that. That's great. That is awesome. And they've saved lots of money. And the thing with money mules is uh, my concern, particularly here in New Zealand, is the authorities go after the easy target, which is the money mule, not after the offender who could be overseas somewhere. And I think the money mules, the unwitting ones, they don't even know that they're caught out in a scam and that they're being used in this way. And they also don't understand that it's a criminal offence behind it. And I don't understand the banking industry very well. But if you're the bank and you're helping a couple people move money back and forth, don't you have some digital data and some numbers that could track the bad guys down? Yeah, well, follow the money. That's the easy part of any investigation, isn't it? Follow the money. But it seems to be that even enforcement is struggling with all the cross-border jurisdictions and things like that. And it's kind of in the too hard basket. It seems the U.S. is a bit behind. And this is a problem that isn't going away. 
I know the Canadian anti-fraud were doing some fantastic work there at one stage in following the money and reading out of Department of Justice in the States. You know, they're getting some large numbers and some large arrests and they're obviously following the money. It is so going to get worse. So a couple of years ago, we had the binary option scam where people were convinced 250 bucks online trading, buy and sell commodities or foreign exchange and make some money. So there was a lot of that going. The regulators all put out a whole lot of warnings and that scam started to die down. But now we're seeing it evolve into, they're calling it FX trading, and people are losing hundreds of thousands of dollars to this FX training, which doesn't exist. It's not even real. People invest their money, think that they're making money on an online portal. They can see their profits going up. But actually, it's all fake and there's nothing behind it. Kind of like a Ponzi scheme, but newer and more tech savvy. Yeah, and very, very difficult to track down. So on their website, they'll have that they are based in Switzerland or UK. And they'll also have that they're regulated by the authorities. But then you actually do a bit of research and they're not regulated. And those brokers don't exist. But unless you know where to look, it's very difficult for the average Joe Blogs. What would you say to people to help? We need another big education piece going out. You know, lots of media, lots of social media around it. And one thing I really like out of the States is your investment companies, I think it's all of them, but I could be wrong. But if you are registered investment company, you have the Edgar logo on your web page saying that you have been registered with the SEC. It's a really good thing. And if here in New Zealand... To be registered, you have to be registered with the Financial Markets Authority. So I would like to see in New Zealand, if you're a a legally registered investment company, you have an FMA kind of seal of approval on your website showing that you're registered. Okay, so tell me what an average day for you is like. (laughs) Uh, Let's look at today. So um, I had four FX trading losses new scam cases come in. Each of those four people had lost just under 200000 New Zealand dollars each. So my process of contacting them, asking them for the documentation so I can prove it's a scam, putting the paperwork together, talking them through it, and then talking them through it again, <laughs> and sometimes again and again until they get it. Because one gentleman said to me today, he said, you know, I want to believe you, but it's really difficult knowing that I've lost 180000 and at the moment, they're saying to me, I just need to pay 55000 more to get my money back. It's really difficult. You've got to have the gift. You've got to talk better than the scammers. That's what it comes down to, to try and sell the, get them back to the good side. Well, and once you've lost that money, you become desperate to get it back. Yeah, absolutely. And that's when you become really vulnerable. Yeah. How do they get in touch with you? I get most of my cases through referrals. In New Zealand, we have an organisation, a not-for-profit called NetSafe, and that is kind of the go-to to report a scam. And NetSafe will refer particularly the romance scam victims through to me because they take the reporting but they can't assist them with anything else, whereas I may be able to help them further. And do you see those numbers increasing? Yeah, I have to keep extending my snorkel. I'm just drowning in all of the scams, in the romance scams, the investment scams, and I can only see the money mules getting bigger and bigger. We recently published a money mule awareness booklet in conjunction with New Zealand Police, and that's proving really popular as well. So how many people like you are there in your organization? (laughs) 
Uh, one, <laughs> it was really funny. Yesterday I was talking to a guy and I said to him, oh, look, can you just wait a minute? I just have to put the dog outside. She's coming all dirty. And he went, you know, I had visions of you being in a room with like multiple screens and a bit like criminal minds, you know, they're flicking their fingers across the screen. <laughs> it's a start. It is a start. And I sometimes I think... I try not to look at the big picture because that's a bit daunting, but I know that I'm changing people's lives every day and I just stick with that one and I just keep marching one foot after the other and continually trying to bring other agencies in and getting them to step up and do more. And the big question everyone is going to want to know is, have you ever been able to get anyone's money back? Yes, I have. When it happens, it doesn't happen very often, but when it does happen, I certainly do a very large jig around the room. Okay, so how were you able to get the money back? So that was an investment scam and the money went to Hong Kong. And because the people were lucky enough to get in, referred to me, we very quickly were able to get the Hong Kong police to freeze the money. And then it had to go through the court process with a lawyer to um, actually get the money back. But we were successful. And the Hong Kong police, they were willing to work with you? Yeah, they were working with the victims. So I was steering the victims on what to say, what to do, what words to use. And the Hong Kong police were great. Have you worked with police in other countries too? or? I've met with some of the FBI guys. They've come out here um, last year, did some conferences and stuff. I've got people in Australia that I deal with and in Canada and in the UK as well. Have you ever run across an anti-scam group that was actually a scamming group? I don't trust anybody, hardly. <laughs> I'm very, very cautious on everyone. You do this professionally. How often yes. do you see it in your private life? I got a phone call the other day <laughs> from this person who was supposedly from the New Zealand Grants Department, which, of course, we don't have an, a grants department in New Zealand. And he said he was going to give me a grant. And normally, I would have played him along for a little bit. But honestly, I was just so tired. My recommendation to people is don't swear at them. And I didn't. But I just said, oh, for goodness sake, just go away. I think the thing that we've noticed, when people do swear at them, they're then ringing them back and abusing them. And if you're an older person, that you know that's not nice for anybody. So um, that's why I recommend not swearing at them. So you think that the elderly people, if they get ugly with the scammers, the scammers come back tenfold, basically? Oh, they definitely do. They definitely do. My recommendation is just don't engage. Don't give them anything, nothing. Just hang up. So you're married with kids, right? Yes. What did your husband say when you started to veer toward this field? Um, he saw that I was so happy and excited that he kind of just left me to my own devices, I think, because there's nothing I like better than chasing a really good scam um, and helping the victims. At first, he used to say, oh, God, these people are stupid. But now he finally gets it and he realizes, you know, they're not stupid. The victims are not stupid. They're not gullible. They've just been targeted by a very sophisticated scammer. What do you think it was that got through to him? Just time and listening to your stories? It's hearing the stories of the victims and hearing me talk about a university professor who's been targeted or a lawyer who's been targeted or a large, well-known company who's been hit 
by a couple of million dollars for a business email compromise, you know, that sort of stuff. Do you think parents need to have these conversations? Yeah, absolutely. Kids are getting onto computers and devices and mobile phones really early on. Now, sometimes parents don't understand the perils behind it and they think, oh, no, they were right. They got taught that at school. Well, you know, the schools are not teaching them cybersecurity, you know, maybe a little bit, but certainly not as much as what's needed. When we think of talking to our families about scammers, the first thing that comes to mind is our elderly loved ones. Maybe we should start with the younger generation. All you have to do is Google credit card photos and you'll see so many of these young kids who've got their first credit card and they've posted a photo of it on Facebook or social media. And then one of their friends reaches out and says, oh, what does the back of your credit card look like? This is a great topic. I think the education system needs to get involved too. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Younger people are an easy target. If there was more of me, I'd go and speak to more schools around New Zealand. But, you know, there is only me and I need to stick with the oldies at this point in time, help them protect their retirement funds. (laughs) (laughs) The ones with the most money. The ones with the most money to lose. And, you know, it's really sad when you see someone who's lost $800,000 in four months to a romance scam and now they can't even go and have a second cup of coffee with their friends. So what are some of the things that you do personally? To protect myself. So I am really small on social media. And if anything, it's used to try and track down scammers. I keep my personal information to myself. I don't fill out any surveys unless it's the census, which you legally have to fill out in New Zealand. If I go to the mall or go to shops, I don't sign up for any emails and things like that. I'm really careful around my information. We've gone over a lot here. You can find more information on the Commission for Financial Capability, including romance scams and a booklet on being a money mule. Here's the website. It's cffc.govt.nz. Next time on Scammer Warriors, we're going to hear from a 25-year FBI veteran who fought three different kinds of scams, romance, the email business scam, and ATM scanners. And finally... A big announcement in my world. I've joined the board of Advocating Against Romance Scammers. It's one of the first places I found answers when I started going through the romance scam with my mom. And I'm honored. Check out their Facebook page if you haven't already to see what they're about. Until next time, Scammer